The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. From the field to the film room to the war room, we've got you covered every step of the way as the road to the draft starts right now on BGN Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the second episode of the 2023 BGN Draft Show. Today, we are going to be breaking down the top five quarterback prospects in the 2023 NFL Draft. Now, before you tune out, you might say the Eagles don't need a quarterback, but you know that you want to know everything about these rookies, where they're going to end up, all of those things. So we're going to break it all down for you. We'll do some honorable mentions at the end, maybe talk about some potential Eagles backup quarterbacks. After all, we all know the Eagles are a QB factory. I'm going to be joined today uh, by Dives. You can give him a follow on Twitter at Mr. Crockpot. Be sure you check out his podcast, The Party on Broad. Dives, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. I remember going onto Mark's show on Fox Sports The Gambler last summer and hyping this quarterback class, maybe saying it's one of the best of all time. My, my have things changed uh, in this group, but I'm excited to talk about it. It is funny how next quarterback class always looks like the best one. Like last year, everybody was like, just wait until 2023. And now everybody's like Caleb Williams, 2024. But there it is. Uh, I'm also going to be joined here today by my co-host on Chalk Talk. Uh, you can catch him on the Tough Cover radio show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at Mark Henry Jr. Underscore. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Uh, way too many college basketball bets going on at the same time right now. Uh, but we are all focused on the draft. I watched way too much tape of, you know, Jaron Hall, Hall Mackin, uh, and, and some of these day three guys uh, that are honorable mention types. But uh, we'll be focusing on the uh, on the top of the line, guys. Yeah, so we're going to kick it off with quarterbacks here, which, again, might not be the most relevant position for the Eagles come draft night, but it is one of the positions that's not super impacted by the scouting combine, which will be happening next weekend. So trying to save some of those skill position groups until we get the combine data. Uh, so we're going to dive into quarterbacks here. Uh, we're going to give you our top five guys. Like I said, we'll give some honorable mention at the end. We're going to go five to one. We'll keep up the suspense here. And so Dibes, why don't you lead us off? Who is your number five quarterback in this draft? Uh, you got to start with Tanner McKee, number five out of Stanford. Uh, and you also have to talk about what he had to deal with in 2022. He played behind the eighth lowest graded pass blocking offensive line in the power five last year. 
Uh, Tanner McKee was often seen in survival mode. Uh, I think McKee is a polished passer. He's got some really good footwork, uh, really good timing, really good accuracy in the pocket. Uh, his 2.51 second average time to throw uh, was the second quickest of anyone that we're going to be talking about here in this QB class. So that's going to definitely attract a lot of teams in the NFL. And when you combine that with his plus size, plus NFL caliber arm, you can see why he's a very strong prospect. I think he's a day two guy. Uh, negative wise, he's going to be a 23-year-old rookie. And most importantly, he's got limited upside outside of the pocket. He's not a liability on the ground, uh, but he doesn't move well. And that often leads to sacks. His 27% sack conversion rate last year was not good. And that led to way many, way too many negative plays for Stanford. And I think uh, he just doesn't have that speed or acceleration to kind of escape defenders, make guys miss. Uh, I, I like Tanner McKee, uh, but I think he's probably going to be overdrafted in the 2023 NFL draft. Yeah, so Tanner McKee, uh, just outside my top five. He was my number six guy, so I'll mention a few things about him here. He was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. Uh, Dibes mentioned he's a little on the older side. He'll be just under 23 years old on draft night. and He spent two years on a Latter-day Saint mission in Brazil prior to attending Stanford, so that's why he's on the older end of the spectrum. Uh, he's 6'6", 230 pounds, so got that prototypical NFL size that you would like to see. Completed 62% of his passes at 6.9 yards per attempt in 2022 with 13 touchdowns and eight interceptions. And, you know, he's got the size and we'll get into size a lot more as we get more towards the top of this list. But he has the size that you want to see. Uh, he distributes the ball well, I think, from the pocket to the short and intermediate areas of the field. He's got a lot of confidence doing that. And I think he's really accurate. He throws a nice ball. I would say he's he's probably the best like pure pocket passer in this class. But the downside is that he's just a pocket passer. He doesn't have the ability to create out a structure. He doesn't deal with pressure well. His completion percentage dropped from 66% to 41% when he was pressured this year. And so and I felt like he stays in the pocket too much sometimes. He doesn't sense pre he's essentially, as I watched him, I couldn't help but write down that he is a pocket passer with bad pocket presence. And that's just a bad combination. Doesn't have agility. doesn't really slide in the pocket, reset his feet. And it, it was a struggle for me if I wanted to put him or the guy that I settled on at number five, at number five, at the end of the day, in 2023 in the NFL, I just don't have interest in a guy that can't get out of structure. And Tanner McKee can't do that. And so this is not someone that I would draft. I understand the appeal. It's the same things that were appealing about Carson Strong last year, but we saw how that played out as well. So McKee, just outside my top five. Uh, Mark, did you have any thoughts on McKee? Did he make it into your top five? He definitely did not make it into my top five. I, I am not a Tanner McKee guy, um, and I'll just push back on the Carson Strong thing. Who, By the way, Carson Strong obviously won't ever take a snap in the NFL. Um, I think that's a lot because he, his knees are made of paper mache. Um, but the difference between Carson Strong and Tanner McKee is that Carson Strong has a big arm. Uh, I, I'm not sure Tanner McKee has a good deep ball. Uh, I, I know that he didn't have a lot of chances to show it in Stanford's offense with Stanford's weapons this year. And with, like Dive said, a really poor offensive line, you're not going to have a lot of time behind that offensive line to, to let a deep ball develop down the field. So there's not a lot of even opportunities to see from what, I, for, but from what I can see, it's not like this 
deep ball is anything special. Um, so we're talking about a guy who I've got questions about the deep ball. I've got questions about whether or not he can move. I've got questions about the pocket presence for a guy who doesn't leave the pocket. Um, it's just too much for me. I, I'm not interested. I wouldn't take him in the first, I don't know, 150 picks. But uh, I, I would say that, yeah, I, I understand, you know, the the height is definitely tantalizing. I, I definitely, you know, I, I understand why people value a guy being 6'6 as a quarterback. And, you know, it certainly makes things a lot easier on certain things that you just don't have to worry about as an offense. But it can't be at the expense of other traits that you need in 2023. So um, I'm definitely not a, uh, not a huge fan of Tanner McKee as a prospect. All right, so Tanner McKee didn't make your top five. Uh, why don't you tell me who your number five guy is? My number five guy is Hendon Hooker, um, who, by the way, not a guy I love. Like, it's not, <laughs> it's not like I'm going to sit here and tell you, oh, Hendon Hooker is so much better because of X, Y, Z. But it really comes down to the fact that, you know, Hendon Hooker got the opportunity to show us what he could do as a thrower a little bit more than McKee did. And obviously he had a better offensive line. He's got a tackle that's going probably in the top 50 in this draft. And he's got other, you know, NFL, other NFL players on his offense, like Jalen Hyatt, like Cedric Tillman, like other players that he's played with. So I understand where his opportunity has just been so much greater than what Tanner McKee and what other quarterbacks that you can talk about in this draft has been but he's shown it a little bit more than these other quarterbacks have. So it gives you a little bit of a leg up when I'm talking about a guy who I'm drafting probably as a backup. At least you're talking about a guy who went out and when he was given the opportunity in a great system with good weapons, with a good offensive line, he showed he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So at least you know that that's in the back pocket. Um, something weird that I'm sure Dives will bring up when he talks about it, very bad at throwing on the run, which is funny for someone who – gets out of the pocket really well. And, you know, he can run for a first down and he is a very good runner. Um, you know, no quarterback running stats will ever blow you away unless you go look at like Lamar Jackson because they count sacks as rushing yards in college football. But Hendon Hooker's in that five, 600 range in some of his years in college. It's pretty shocking to see someone who is so adept at, you know, tucking it and running it not be able to get out of the pocket and throw with any sort of accuracy. So that's the concern. If that's something that you can work on to me, it seems like that that's something that kind of is a little bit improvisational and natural. I don't know if that's something that you can necessarily teach or coach through in practice. I'd be interested to see what you guys think about that, but yeah, I, I like Hendon hooker. I'd be hard pressed to take him in the top hundred. You know, he might be a fringe third rounder for me, uh, but I think he's better than the other the other guys outside of the obvious top four, just because he's had the opportunity to be pretty much. Yeah. So Hendon Hooker is also my QB five in this class. Uh, he started his uh, his career at Virginia Tech, and then he grad transferred to Tennessee prior to the 2021 season. Started 37 games at the collegiate level. Uh, in 2022, he led the SEC in passing efficiency, total offense completion percentage and yards per attempt. So he's got that going for him. Uh, he, he's 6'4", 218 pounds. Now he is, he's very old. He's 25, going to be like 25 and a third or whatever on draft night. Uh, in 2022, he completed 69.6% .6 of his passes for 3,135 yards. That's 9.5 yards per attempt. 
He had 27 touchdowns to only two interceptions. He also rushed for 430 yards and five touchdowns, which, as Mark mentioned, is brought down by sacks counting against that in college. Um, he's got good arm strength, I thought. He can drive the ball outside the numbers, and he's he's very accurate. He throws a really nice deep ball, which is what a lot of that Tennessee offense was. Uh, he's got really clean mechanics, and his dad was a quarterback. His brother's a quarterback, so in the family, you would expect somebody like that to have be good mechanically, and he brings that dual threat skill set and he's just improved year over year consistently which is something the eagles have talked about with jalen hurts he's improved year over year and you know sometimes you see that stall out it hasn't yet for him but you know the downsides to hooker besides his age you know he's going to be 25 on draft night he's also recovering from an acl injury he sustained in november so he may miss the majority of his rookie season he's got almost no experience going through progressions uh, he, he ran a spread vertical tempo offense in college that just doesn't translate to the NFL. So uh, he's coming off of a major injury. He's old. He's got no experience in NFL type systems. And then Mark mentioned too, he's so mobile, but he just drops his eyes when he breaks the pocket, similar to what we saw Jalen Hurts do in 2021. And, and he made a radical turnaround in 2022, but uh, Hendon Hooker only had five completions all season when he broke the pocket. So uh, not a guy that's looking to push the ball downfield once he escapes pressure. So that's why he's my QB5. I think he's interesting as a backup for a team with a mobile quarterback. Uh, he could certainly interest the Eagles. Uh, you could run the zone read game with him if Hertz misses a game, whereas you could not do that with Gardner Minshew. So I might circle him as a as a third-round target or a day-three target. I don't think he'll slip to day-three, but if he was there in the third round and the Eagles might be interested. What about a potential Seattle landing spot for, for Hendon Hooker? I think that makes a lot of sense. If you don't, if you're Seattle and you don't make that move in the first round, and but you still want to maybe get a, a younger, I mean, he's 25, so he's not all that young, but you want to get a rookie in there on a rookie contract behind Gino in case things go wrong, or if you know, you want to get a guy to kind of you, you give Gino a one year deal. And then you you go ahead and you you get him ready. That there, there's the opportunity for that. I think that that's a, a good potential landing spot if you're a hooker guy. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that as Pause. well. <laughs> Dives, do you have any thoughts on Hendon Hooker? Are you ready to move on to number four? No, I, I think it, you know it starts uh, like you said, Shane. Like he's improved every single year, so you got to start there. Uh, coming into last year, like. Um, I actually made a video on this, like who was the, who's the most polarizing, who's the most underrated, who was the biggest winner of the 2022 season, uh, at the quarterback position. It was Hendon hooker, man. Like he was on a tear and then watching him tear his ACL, man, that was a really tough injury, uh, for sure. And what, what he meant for, uh, Tennessee, but, um, he fumbles the ball way too much. 16 fumbles the last two years. That's ridiculous. Uh, you look at, um, him, I, I, 25 years old. Uh, he just turned 25 years old, man. And he just has a torn ACL. Like, that's a lot to get over, especially when you think about like how much he has to overcome, uh, when it comes to just going through progressions and taking that next step as an NFL quarterback. Um, it's tough, especially his struggles outside of the pocket. Uh, and that's, those were the biggest reasons why he didn't make my top five. All right. So Tanner McKee, Hendon Hooker makes up our number fives. Our top four are all going to be the same guys. So 
Uh, we're going to try to lump those together, even if we don't have them ranked the same. Uh, so, Mark, I'm going to throw it to you here first for number four. Who's your number four? I don't know if I'm the best representation to start here with Will Levis, but I, I, I will start <laughs> um, at number four. He is not a guy who I have graded as a first-round prospect. Um, and, and I think that, you know, if you were to just make your draft evaluation based on tape and you were just able to make your draft evaluation based on what you see on the football field, Will Levis would not go on day two, let alone go in the first round. That, that, that's my opinion of him as an on-field product. Having said that, he has everything you would possibly want in a quarterback prospect on paper. You know, the size, the frame, the, the footwork, the ability to get outside of the pocket and run if he has to, while not necessarily needing to be a mobile running quarterback. It's just, I was so excited about Will Levis as a prospect going into this season. And I was making fun of Penn State fans and making fun of uh, all the Penn State people I know for basically choosing uh, to, to go with 100 years of Sean Clifford over getting Will Levis in there and seeing what he could do at Penn State before he transferred to Kentucky. I thought he was going to be the guy where I, you know, stuck my chest out and went, oh, all season, Will Levis is the guy who's actually impressing me more than Young and Stroud. But then you watch the games, and man, it, it is—it was not impressive. It was really, really rough at times. He—he he has set some—I forget the exact number—but he's set an interception record in the SEC, I believe, in SEC play. I don't know if that's over two years. If that's in the first year, the second year. Um, I, I was listening to—I uh, heard that on a pod. And the decision making has to improve. The—the the turnovers that it seems he's accustomed to making are so easy to fix but he keeps making the same decisions that lead to the same mistakes it seems like and i'm just i'm not as sold as will levis uh, as a lot of people are it seems like a lot of people are kind of on the same side as me where they're saying you know the on-field product is is pretty rough but if you look past that and you look at him on paper and you look at what he's going to do at the combine next week for sure in his pro day and whenever that is, I'm sure he's going to make NFL teams fall in love with how he looks in shorts. But if you go watch Florida, Kentucky this year with another quarterback that we're going to get to and Will Levis as the quarterback for Kentucky, you would not think either of those guys are going in the first two days of the draft. So I just want to you know preach a little bit of caution for whatever franchise decides we're going to go get Will Levis. And if you're going to go get Will Levis, I'm usually of the mindset that you should start your rookie quarterback right away. Will Levis cannot start right away. You need to get him in the system and have him sit for a little bit and learn and hopefully develop on the bench. But, you know, I have a feeling that with the draft capital that you'll probably have to use to get Will Levis, you will probably want to start him as fast as possible. I think that's going to be detrimental to his developmental process. Yeah. So Will Levis is also my QB for, uh, you know, if the NFL thing doesn't work out, he could always get like a sponsorship deal with Levi's for their jeans. It'd be oh perfect. Last name's perfect for that. So just putting that out there into the universe, but uh, Levis, so Levis was a three-star prospect. He started out at Penn state and he was basically like the Taysom Hill guy at Penn state uh, before he transferred to Kentucky for two seasons he broke out in 2021 with a chance to start. 
in 2022, a lot of people thought he was going to take a big leap and he really struggled. And there's some things that go into that. He was dealing with turf toe and a shoulder injury. Uh, he lost Wandell Robinson and Luke Fortnier in the draft last year. He lost his offensive coordinator. Uh, Rich Scangarello was hired as the offensive coordinator and then fired halfway through the season. So there's certainly a lot of things stacked against him. Uh, 6'3", 232 pounds. He's going to be just under 24 years old on draft night. Uh, he completed 65% of his passes for 2,406 yards in 2022, 8.5 yards per attempt, 19 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. When you look at the strengths uh, of Levis, he's got a huge arm, and, and he's got that prototypical NFL build. He's got a nice, compact throwing motion, and I mean, he's a threat in the running game. I wouldn't call him a running quarterback, but he's a threat in the running game, and he's hard to bring down. He converted 22 of 23 Q QB sneaks in his career, and we saw how effective that was for the Eagles this year. So you can use him in short yardage situations like that. But on the flip side, he he's just maddeningly inconsistent. He's got 23 interceptions in the last two years. He fumbled the ball 17 times in his collegiate career. Uh, he, he holds the ball too long in the pocket, and he'll take unnecessary sacks. He's going to be 24 years old uh, 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 during the, his rookie season. And then he only had seven big-time throws in 2022 per PFF, which is the lowest of all the big quarterbacks in this draft. I felt like watching him, the two biggest things that stuck out to me is he does not do a good job manipulating safeties with his eyes doesn't do a good job looking off guys and his feet are dreadful like he takes too long to settle his feet under him at the top of his drop when he has to slide it takes him forever to settle back down uh it i wondered i, I don't know i'm speculating i wonder if it's related to the turf toe and that was part of the issues with his footwork it could be i don't know um but that's something i would want to know about if i was interviewing him i do think he's going to draft or he's going to interview really well he's going to make guys fall in love with him I think there is a chance that Will Levis is QB1 off the board, if I'm being honest. I would not do it, but I could see it. He He's the ultimate bet on traits. He's got a high ceiling, but he has a very low floor. And I would be very, very cautious of taking Will Levis with a top 10 pick. So, Dibes, maybe we're the downers here. You have Will Levis at number three. Uh, why don't you tell us what you like about him? Um. He's number three in this year's class. Um, that's the best I can say. Uh, so Will Levis, I do think he's going to end up being a top 10 pick. Um, I do think the tools that he presents are elite. Uh, when it comes to arm strength, he said he can throw an 80-yard ball. Like anyone that denies that is probably an idiot. Like I fully believe he can do that. Uh, that's how good he is with his arm. He can throw the ball into tight windows. Uh, he, he, there's a lot of strengths. Um, but like you guys said, like, you know, there's definitely a lot of concerns. Uh, you talked about, uh, the offense taking a huge step backward last year. That was very much true when it comes to, uh, Kentucky. And secondly, uh, he was just constantly under pressure in 2022. Um, 37.8% of his dropbacks this season, he was under pressure. He played, tried to play way too much hero ball, um, I think Kentucky had the most sacks allowed other than Boston College of all Power 5 schools. That's how bad it was. Um, so it was definitely a tough season for Will Levis. I am still surprised he's in top 10 discussion at this point. 
Um, but it is what it is. I agree. I think he's going to test extremely well at the combine. I think he's going to crush the interviews. And I think at the end of the day, he's going to be overdrafted just like my number five. And um, it is what it is. I'm not high on Will Levis, but in this draft where it's relatively weak and there's no true superstars outside of like the top three, top five, uh, like J- Jalen Carter, or Will Anderson or Miles Murphy. Here we are. Uh, he's he's a, a big time wild card and arguably the most polarizing prospect in this draft. All right. So that is Will Levis. Let's move on to the next guy here. He's going to be number three for Mark and I. He is number four for Dibes, and that is Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Uh, I'll lead us off on Richardson. He's a four-star recruit. He was the number nine ranked dual threat QB in his high school class. Uh, he redshirted, and then he appeared in eight games. One, He only started one of those in 2021 before he took over as a full-time starter in 2022. So uh, he's 6'4", 232 pounds. He's going to be just under 22 years old on draft night. He completed 53.8% of his passes this season for 2,549 yards at 7.8 yards per attempt. He had 17 touchdowns and nine interceptions. He also rushed for 654 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, I think Anthony Richardson is the highest ceiling quarterback in this class. I also think he is the lowest floor of the big, of the top four quarterbacks in this class. Like, Ultimate bet on traits. He's going to make or break your career if you're the GM and you take this guy. So let's talk about the positives first. He can throw from multiple arm angles and he can zip the ball all over the field. So you you talk about that, you know, with like the Patrick Mahomes, how he can drop the arm slot to throw around guys. Anthony Richardson can do that. And he is big and powerful. Like he reminds me a little bit of Cam Newton in the pocket and out (laughs) on the run. He He can shrug off pass rushers. Uh, he he extends plays well. He's very dangerous out of structure, and he's hard to bring down. He broke 39 tackles this season, so he, he's a stout guy. Uh, he I think he throws really well on the move. In fact, I, I kind of think he throws better on the move than he does from a clean pocket. But on the flip side, he only threw 393 passes at the collegiate level, and I, I think you see that in his game. He's very inconsistent game to game. He, he lacks downfield accuracy, uh, and a lot of it comes back to inconsistent mechanics. He just doesn't have a lot of experience. There's inconsistencies in his throwing platform. Uh, he had a 28.2% uncatchable pass rate over the last two seasons, and that is the seventh highest number in the nation. And then he was very reliant on play-action passing. Like you go pull up, You go pull up games of his and watch them, and it's like every pass is a play-action pass. 37% of his passes were play action this this season and his yards per attempt dropped from 10.7 to 6.1 when he didn't have play action. His completion percentage dropped from 57% with play action to 50% without play action. His QB rating dropped from 118 to 65 and so very reliant on play action. Very very raw prospect. Um I like Mark said about Will Levis, you generally want to start rookies and I think with his athleticism, you have an on-ramp where you can bring him in and start him. You just have to know that anything drop-back passing is going to be a work in progress. This is a guy that needs to land in the right spot with someone who will take full advantage of his rushing ability and, and kind of slowly onboard him to an NFL passing offense. So that's my thoughts on Anthony Richardson. Uh, Mark, I'll throw it to you here. What, what were yours on Richardson? 
Yeah, he's one of the toughest evaluations, if not the tough, most, you know, most difficult evaluation I've ever had to make as a draft guy. And I, I just, you know, ev- you watch the Utah tape and you're convinced that he's a top 10 guy. Then you watch the next two games against Kentucky and South Florida, and you're convinced that he's not a first rounder. Then you go and you watch the Tennessee, the Vandy, the LSU game, and you're like, wow, this guy, you know, has an argument to be the number one player in the class. And then you go watch the last game of the year against Florida State, which is one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever watched in my life. I bet on Florida State in that game and and remember even I going into the game confident that Florida State would win and cover. I was shocked at how brutal Anthony Richardson was in that game and how brutal that Florida offense was in that game in general. And there's so many ways you can spin the Anthony Richardson conversation. Um, If I were going to spin it one way, I'd say if Josh Allen didn't work out, we probably wouldn't be talking about Anthony Richardson as a first round pick. If I was going to spin it another way, I'd probably say that if Malik Willis flashed last year and turned into some you know, Justin Fields level phenomenon as a running quarterback, we probably would be talking about Anthony Richardson a little bit even more seriously as the number one pick of the draft, uh, even though there was buzz about that the other day. But or even so even Trey Lance evaluation on this guy, because there's so much positive, there's so much negative, but he is a legitimate threat in the running game in a way that there are really not many quarterbacks that we've seen in recent memory that have the ability to be as good of a runner as he is. And there's one part of me that, you know, there's the inaccuracy issues that are quite obvious with Richardson at this point that are very concerning. And he likes to, he kind of spikes the ball a little bit. There's a little bit of, you know, Shane compared him to Cam Newton with the good traits there's a little bit of the bad traits in terms of Cam Newton's throwing ability that, that way down Richardson as well. Uh, some of the McNabb ability to throw the ball in the ground at the feet of the receiver. and But then there's also a lot of people that are, you know, quoting that 53% completion percentage. And I understand that that is an embarrassingly low number. And for some, that's going to disqualify you as a quarterback prospect to be taken seriously. The only thing I'll say is that Billy Napier in Florida were running a a bizarre offense this year at at Florida where everything was either running or it felt like a play-action shot play down the field, and they were so dependent on throwing the ball down the field. And I actually think that that number should have been a little bit more like 58 57%. If you, you go on tape and you look at some of the drops, you look at the way that they were calling that offense. I think that he was really put behind the eight ball in a first year of a new coaching staff that was trying to coach Florida like they were Louisiana Lafayette. Um, and, I, and I think Florida really did Richardson's you know, season a disservice in terms of his draft stock. I, I would have liked to see him with another season at Dan Mullen as his play caller, or if he would have transferred and went somewhere else that would have used him even more as a runner and used his weapons even more in the running game. Because I truly think that if someone would have, you know, weaponized him correctly, he could have been a Heisman type player. Um, But yeah, Shane put it perfectly where he's a tough case of, do you want to play him right away and kind of get his feet wet? And, you know, like, like he said, you have that athleticism, which we've talked about many times on Chalk Talk, even you know before Jalen Hurts has shown us anything really, that that gives you a really high floor. But 
we saw with Malik Willis that that floor may not be as high as we previously thought because man, that was, that was pretty brutal to watch. And Richardson could be similar. I do think Richardson's a better prospect than Willis was last year. Uh, but he is absolutely a Jekyll and Hyde prospect if I've ever seen one. All right. Yeah. I wonder, you mentioned guys that might've impacted, you know, if Josh Allen didn't make his leap or uh, if Malik Willis had flashed the other, the one that jumped straight to my mind is Trey Lance. Trey Lance came in with athletic tools and very little experience. And of course, you know, he sat out basically his rookie year and then he got injured so early in his second year. But I think if Trey Lance had worked out for the 49ers this year, I think Anthony Richardson would be in strong consideration as a top five pick. And you shouldn't let prospects or previous players impact your evaluations that much. But it's going to be hard for NFL teams not to draw that parallel between relatively inexperienced mobile guy and what's happened with Trey Lance. So that's something that I think is worth mentioning and watching as well. So uh, Dibes, you are lower on Richardson than Levis. You had Richardson as four. Uh, Why don't you talk to me about him a little bit? I I love what Mark had to say because like when it was – when he was in rhythm, when he was on, you're talking about one of the most electrifying players in college football. It was must-see TV every single time Anthony Richardson was having a great game. And uh, I love the Cam Newton uh, comp- player comps because uh, that's what it looked like at times. Uh, you look, you talk about his physicals, like six foot four, expected to run, uh, you know, in the four four range in the forty yard dash. Like how many players do, can do that at the quarterback position? Uh, he's got elite physical tools. Uh, no one denies that. Uh, you talk about outside of the pocket, uh, getting first downs with his legs, man. He broke 39 tackles on 97 carries in 20, uh, 2022, man. Uh, it's just inside the pocket is where he needs to develop the most, man. Uh, especially downfield His downfield accuracy was really, really bad. Uh, you look at this guy and, um, he just, needs seasoning and he, he's one of those guys that has to be the the pick for biggest boomer bust it, uh, prospect in the 2023 class um, because like you said his accuracy uh all those things combined and how raw he is 455 dropbacks in his college career man uh he needs a lot of time a lot of a lot of seasoning a lot of coaching at the nfl level man but uh, is he a worthwhile gamble due to those like elite physical tools? Probably. I think it just like my other two, he's probably some team is probably going to take him in the top 10 and kind of gamble on that arm strength, running ability and elite size. So um, he's one of those guys. I wish he would return for one more season because he's not ready. He's just not. Um, I do agree. He's a better prospect than Malik Willis. Uh, but if you throw him into the NFL, uh, on day one, it could get really ugly. Yeah, I, I very much wish he would have come back for another season as well. I think it would have helped him out a whole lot. What are some ideal landing spots for Willis? Because Shane mentioned, you know, you want to you want a guy who theoretically is going to help you grow as a quarterback while not having a tremendous amount of expectations right away. The two places to come to mind are. Carolina with Reich. Reich isn't the exact quarterback coach that you'd necessarily think of with the type of guy that Richardson is. Um, But 
you think as a first year guy that he'd have some leeway and Richardson has some talent around him there in Carolina. But the one that's obvious, I think if you're, you know, a Florida fan who loves Richardson or for some reason invested in Anthony Richardson, I think you want him to go to Indy where, where Shane Steichen obviously helped Jalen Hurts develop into the quarterback he is. Not that they're that similar, but at least they are a mobile quarterback. And, you know, I, I think that's what you would be dreaming for if you're Anthony Richardson or his agent. I, I want him to go to Atlanta. Mm, I want him to go to Atlanta. Because they run such, I mean, we, they run such a collegey sort of an offense, and there's a lot of pistol, and there's a lot of zone read, and they were trying to do those things with Marcus Mariota and then Desmond Ritter, and I just feel like their coaching staff is so creative in how they design their run game, and they want to run the ball a lot, and that that works with Richardson well. Uh, they want to be able to play action off of the running game. Obviously, I mean, you mentioned Shane Steichen and Indian Indianapolis would be a great place. I don't think he's probably going to go that high. I could be wrong, but I really like Atlanta there at eight. That's the team that, I, as a as an analyst, I would just love to see him in that Atlanta offense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You guys know other teams way better than I do, but uh, any offense that heavily utilizes play action, I think, will be best suited uh, for. Uh, this dude, um, his 10.7 yards per attempt off play action ranked ninth among FBS starters. That was better than Hedden Hooker, and that was better than Bryce Young. Uh, so when you can, if a coordinator can get this guy in rhythm and kind of utilize his strengths, that's what I'm looking at. You know what? You know what helps inaccuracy issues? Throwing to Drake London and Kyle Pitts, <laughs> two massive targets. Those guys are hard to overthrow. So. Uh, but yeah, that those would be interesting landing spots for sure. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. So let's move on to our number two quarterback. Uh, Spoiler alert, we're all the same. QB two on the board for all of us is CJ Stroud from Ohio State. Dives, why don't you lead us off on Stroud? Ah, just loads of arm talent and strength and uh, accuracy, man. Uh, His accuracy and processing are elite. Uh, This is a guy who made me look silly with some of my takes during the college football playoff uh, because he was outstanding. Uh, You look at this guy: thirty-three point six percent of his attempts past the line of scrimmage were deemed perfectly placed per PFF. That's the highest rate in the entire draft class. Uh, his, In fact, his 26.7% rate of perfectly placed balls uh, since 2021 uh, leads all FBS, FBS quarterbacks, man. So 
Inside the pocket is where C.J. Stroud wins. That is what this guy is all about. His accuracy on every level of the football field, his feathery touch, incredible touch, uh, is just incredible. He does a great job just layering balls over the middle area of the field. Uh, When it comes to concerns uh, is the fact that he really struggles outside of the pocket. Uh, This guy had a 36.8 passing grade under pressure uh, and making accurate throws on the run was really hard for this dude. Um, So that's definitely an area that uh, I'll be looking at at the upcoming combine. But I think CJ Stroud is uh, probably going to be a top five pick. And um, yeah, I think he's a solid prospect. He's definitely a, a tier or two probably over Will Levis and everybody else in this class. I think CJ Stroud, uh, where it counts, is got a lot of talent. Yeah, so he's a four-star recruit. Uh, he was the number two pro-style QB in his class. Redshirted in 2022, and then he started two seasons. He was a Heisman finalist in both of those seasons. He became the first player in Big Ten history with back-to-back seasons of 30-plus touchdowns. And he actually had 40 plus touchdowns in each. So he didn't just like set that record. He, he shattered that record. Uh, he's 6'3, 215 pounds. He's only 21 and a half. Completed 66.3% of his passes this season for 3,688 yards, 9.5 yards per attempt. He had 41 touchdowns to six interceptions. I think Dibes nailed his strengths. Uh, He throws with anticipation. A lot of times the ball's out of his hand before the receiver's out of his break, which is something that you want to see because those windows get smaller in the NFL. He's been playing with NFL receivers his whole career, but he hasn't been throwing against NFL quarterback cornerbacks. And so the fact that he can anticipate those, make those throws, that's huge. He's good at manipulating coverage with his eyes. Uh, he was he had 29 big time throws in 2022 per PFF, which was the most among the big four quarterbacks. And one thing that's impressive is at the line at Ohio State, a lot of times I thought he was calling his own protections. He was calling audibles, those sorts of things. He's got very good command of the offense. But the weaknesses, he just didn't play out of structure. He just didn't do it. And maybe he didn't do it because he didn't need to because he's throwing to Jackson Smith and Jigba and the litany of receivers that came from Ohio State and went in the first round last year. Maybe that's it Uh, because he did show that ability against Georgia in the college football playoff loss. But outside of that game, you rarely see it. So you've got to decide, like, can, can he do it? And he just didn't because he didn't need to. Is he unwilling to do it? Can he not do that? That that's something that teams are going to have to figure out. And then at times in the pocket, you mentioned that he struggled under pressure. I thought he drifts away from pressure. He fell off his back foot a lot. Uh, And then even when not pressured, I thought he had an inconsistent throwing base two up on his toes. At times he'd have an extra hitch in his drop at times. And it led to some inconsistent mechanics and it didn't really impact his placement a lot. And so sometimes, you know, we obsess about mechanics and mechanics don't matter until they matter. But if they matter, there's some inconsistencies there that you could work on. So overall, I think C.J. Stroud is a pretty safe prospect, uh, but I would have liked to have seen him operate more out of structure at the college level. But he did that at, against Georgia. Like let's let's right, 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 yeah. He was outstanding out of structure, throwing on the move, improvising to Marvin Harrison Jr. He was ridiculously good. Yeah, absolutely. 
I've never had a player change an evaluation in one game the way I had with <laughs> Stroud at, at um, I was never out on Stroud. I, I was always on the fence or, or cautiously optimistic on Stroud. But I had some questions about, you know, last year's game against Michigan, this year's game against Notre Dame, how he played against some of the better defenses. Obviously, when he goes out there against Toledo and Rutgers and, and Northwestern, I think they're going to out-athlete them all over the field, and CJ Stroud is going to be able to just sit in the pocket and throw all over the place. And that's the one thing I do want to say early. I was going to say something earlier, but then I realized I should probably just wait until Stroud comes up. Shane said that Tanner McKee is the best pure pocket passer in this class. I think Stroud is by far the best pure pocket passer in this class because until that game against Georgia, that's all he was, was a pocket passer. It's pretty it, – and that was something I was upset about. Um, because coming out of college or coming out of high school, he was assumed to be a pretty mobile athletic prospect who Ohio State was really excited to use that way. And then when they got an opportunity to, it seemed like they tried to turn him into Peyton Manning. And I think that, you know, you could argue that that was a mistake. I think a lot of it is in his first year there, he had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba as his three wide receivers. He probably played with the greatest trio of college wide receivers of all time. And that includes a world where what did we have the other year? Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and Jerry Judy. You know, it's going to be, we're going to have to track that a couple of years from now to compare Alave Wilson and JSN to those three from Bama. But Stra- I take so much more away from what I saw in Stroud's 2022 than I do in Stroud's 2021. Even if you just look at the counting stats, 2021 is a little bit more impressive than 2022. But you have to consider the fact that he lost Garrett Wilson. He lost Chris Alave. Jackson Smith and Jigba basically won in, in one game season. He lost his running back, Travion Henderson, for much of the same game weapons like he did his first year at Ohio State. So um, our conversation about Stroud, if he didn't show some of the stuff he showed me down the stretch this year, and especially in that Georgia game where he showed so much in terms of his mobility and getting out of the pocket, making a huge throw on the run. And I think that I'm choosing a little bit to say, you know what, you showed me you can do it, so you clearly can. Instead of questioning why I didn't see it more, I'm just going to assume it's because he played with such elite talent at wide receivers, such elite talent at running back, and the fact that he has two offensive tackles that are probably going in the top 50 this year, including one guy who's probably going to go in the top 15 to 10. So I think that a lot of it was just the fact that he didn't need to uh, in terms of his mobility outside the pocket. I think he will have that ability at the next level. So that's why I think he's a fringe top five prospect in this draft. Yeah, that, that's the big question with him. Could he and he just didn't? Or I don't know, because you look at one game and crazy things happen in one game sample sizes. I remember Nick Foles in the Super Bowl, right? And two weeks earlier... It was like, should they bench this guy? And, you know, these one-off performances, it's scary to bet a top two, top three pick on a one-game performance. And he was so good in the pocket uh, all season long. If he had played a little more like that Georgia game, he would be QB1 in this class for me. But that that's a question mark that I don't have the answer for right now. And so he sits here at my number two. Uh, it is closer. I think I'm closer with one and two than a lot of people are, though. The thing about the one-game sample size that I will defend a little bit, it is a one-game sample size, 
against probably one of the best defenses in the history of college football Mm -hmm. and definitely the best defense he ever faced. So Um, you can make the argument that that was finally the time that he felt like he was honestly outmatched or he felt like he might have been out-athleted around him on the field. So he finally felt like, you know what? It's breaking down around me. I have to make the play. I can't stay in the structure of a perfect offense because they're the better team. And I think that's probably the first time he felt like that. And I do just want to point out, just to throw it out there, that uh, that game, the Ohio State offensive line was sensational in that game. They limited Georgia's defensive line to very little, very little pressure on C.J. Stroud. Uh, So if we're like being real here, the real winner of that game, even though they lost, uh, was how Ohio State was able to kind of counter that Georgia pass rush. Um, But I just want to throw that out there. That's important to know. We'll nerd out. We'll nerd out over Paris Johnson and Dewan Jones. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to number one. Uh, it is unanimous. Our QB one in this draft is Bryce Young out of Alabama. Mark, why don't you lead us off and talk about Young? Yeah, Bryce Young is my number one overall player in the class. Uh, a lot due to positional value, which is maybe something we can have a conversation about. But um, the footwork of Bryce Young is what sets him apart. Um, The reason that I fell so in love with Tua as a prospect uh, a couple years ago was because of the footwork. And I don't know if that's something that they just that's in the water in Tuscaloosa, uh, where they just get those Alabama quarterbacks to have fantastic footwork. But I'd argue that Bryce Young, we were we were having a conversation in our in our group chat about kind of comparing the last couple years of prospects. And I, I was comparing Bryce Young who I have as the number one prospect in this class to some of the prospects of the last couple of years. And he wasn't, you know, one of my five best quarterbacks of the last five or so years. But if I was to say, what is his skill that is on par or above the Trevor Lawrence's, the Tua's, the Justin Herbert's, the, even for me, you can throw Lamar in because I was very high on him and some other of names that have went in the top five or that I have had a really high grade on as a quarterback is his poise and his footwork in the pocket. There was a play, um, I think it was against LSU this year, where he was just making guys like Perkins, guys like BJ Ojolari run around in circles. And these are guys who are going to be really good players at the next level. Uh, it's not like he was doing it against you know a, an, an FCS opponent or Vanderbilt. He, he was doing it against one of the better defenses he'll see. And you'll see a lot of that. And obviously a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the highlights you'll see from Bryce Young's season this year are against Tennessee, which almost you have to take with a little bit of a grain of salt because that Tennessee defense was so porous. But you look at on the whole, anytime Alabama got in a hole, anytime Alabama got in some trouble, which they did this year, because this year's Alabama team was not as necessarily talented around the Bryce Youngs and the Will Andersons as we've seen in years past. And I think it forced Bryce Young to show us a little bit more of what he could do on his own. It forced him to sort of create for himself and create for others in the passing game. And down the stretch in that Tennessee loss, down the stretch in that LSU loss, and down the stretch in some of the wins that he had that were closer than they should have been, Arkansas comes to mind. Texas A&M comes to – I don't know if it was Texas A&M, but some of these other games come to mind where Alabama got in a hole and he immediately brought them back and did exactly what they needed to do, got out of the pocket, made the big throw down the field check down to the open guy. I just think this is a guy who's a big time player. And I think he's, you know, he's a unicorn and I'm sure Shane's going to talk a lot about that. 
um, about his size and about his height and about the percentiles. And I understand all of that. But he did this at the highest level in the toughest conference to play in in college football against some of the best pass rushers in this draft and the best pass rusher that I just mentioned in Perkins for next year's draft and some other excellent pass rushers we'll see go off the board at the, in the first round of next year's draft. And he was the best player on the field every time he played against any of them. Uh, so there, there's just a little bit of this that's I'm a little bit of a college football snob. And when I watch a guy for two years, very clearly be the best player in college football, it's hard for me to take some of the concerns all that seriously. When we have seen guys like Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson and others have success as an undersized quarterback. And I know that some of the scenarios are different. Some of the height, the weight, some of the things are different with young. He is extremely small. I'd be lying if I said that there isn't some injury risk that is inherent with a guy of his size. But if you're grading out based on the skill on the field, man, he, he is a really fun watch in terms of evaluation. He's just such a smart player. All right. Dives, why don't you why don't you talk about Bryce Young and then I'll wrap him up for us? Yeah, I agree with everything Mark just said, man. Inside the pocket, outside the pocket, this, this is a guy who just checks off so many boxes with his arm, with his legs. His ability to create in both those areas is as elite as it gets. His ability to you know, manage the blitz and throw, make smart plays under pressure with his poise. It's as elite as it gets. He's good in structure. Uh, but I think, like I just said, when he gets out of the pocket, when he's not in structure, that's when uh, he just, just is so impressive to watch on tape. The way he keeps his eyes downfield, the way he makes accurate passes in that intermediate deep area of the field. Uh, he just is so impressive. Uh, you look at this guy as an elite deep field threat. Uh, he has a PFF passing grade on deep throws of 95 in 2022. That was better than his short and intermediate uh, passing grade. Uh, again, just elite processing ability. He can make defenders miss when he's out of the pocket. He can hit guys in stride at all three levels of the football field. Uh, and I agree, Mark, like he's small. He, sit, he sits back really deep in the pocket. Uh, because of those size concerns, uh, he can leave the pocket a little too early at times as well. Uh, so it begins and ends with this size. Uh, but it's a shame, too, because like <laughs> if he was like two or three inches taller, uh, we'd probably be having a completely different conversation right now. Uh, so, you know, you also have to kind of point out the talent at Alabama, man. His average time to throw last year was ninth most in college football. So there is that. Uh, but he's a top five uh prospect for me he's not number one but he's top five uh there's so much to love about Bryce Young yeah so Bryce Young was a he's a five-star recruit ranked the top dual threat QB in the country uh, he was a two-year starter for Alabama he's the 2021 Heisman Trophy winner two-time All-American and he left Alabama after two years second in career passing yards and touchdowns uh, he's six foot 194 pounds uh just under 22 years old in 2022, he completed 64.5% of his passes for 3,328 yards. That's 8.8 .8 yards per attempt. He also had 32 touchdowns to five interceptions. He rushed for 185 yards and four touchdowns. He, when I watch him play, he, he just, he diagnoses coverage so quickly and he knows exactly where to attack the defense. He has answers immediately for whatever the defense throws at him. 
Uh, he shines playing out of structure. Like he will routinely create a second play if the first one doesn't work just by his mobility and his escapability. And he's highly accurate throwing to all areas of the field. He can drop the deep balls over the shoulder. He can hit opposite hash outbreakers. He can hit timing throws in the short game. The thing that's crazy to me is he's so comfortable throwing middle of the field from the pocket, which is not something that you see of quarterbacks his size. You think about the NFL, you think of like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. And I did like the quarterback heat mapping stuff. And Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson were two of the bottom three quarterbacks in terms of percentage of their passes attempted in the short and intermediate middle area of the field. Bryce Young's so comfortable throwing there, even though he's only six foot tall. But his size, unfortunately, like that's the only negative in his game. And it sucks that we're there, but that's the reality. He will not be on the board for every team due to his size. He is fourth percentile among quarterbacks in height, zeroth percentile in weight. And yeah, Russell Wilson is smaller, 5'11", but he's 204 pounds. Bryce Young's 194. Kyler is 5'10", but he's 207. These guys are, they're thicker and they're going to be more able to sustain contact, I say, as Kyler Murray's coming off of an ACL injury. But uh, I think that one was non-contact. So we're going to throw that out. The only hole I can find in his game and it's nitpicking is, and Dives mentioned it, he takes very deep drops in the pocket, and presumably that's for vision. And so that makes his offensive tackles a little more vulnerable to the pass rush. But honestly, there's not flaws in his game. It's just his stature. Is he going to be able to survive in the NFL where everybody's bigger, everybody's faster, everybody hits harder? I think Bryce Young, wherever he lands, I think he's going to do really well as a rookie. I think he's going to shine. He's probably going to win rookie offensive rookie of the year. That's not my concern. My concern is in year three, year four, as hits begin to pile up. Is Bryce Young going to survive into that second contract? Because, you know, quarterbacks are playing longer than ever. It's fully expected. Your quarterback is going to be playing at an elite level in the into their mid to late 30s. I don't know that Bryce Young has that kind of longevity. And so I... I was certainly wrong about Devonta Smith. I was concerned about Devonta Smith's stature, and it has not been an issue. But that's where I'm at with Bryce Young. The, the, the red flag, the concern for me is just his size and how he's going to hold up. You look at Jalen Hurts, and there are some similarities, at least when it comes to like he, Bryce Young will need you know a coordinator that can put his strengths uh, and maximize those strengths. But uh, Jalen Hurts is an inch shorter. Then Bryce Young, and he's 30 pounds heavier. It's probably all in Jalen Hurts' legs. Uh, but like maybe, what do you think, Shane? Like a, like a thinner version of Tua? Is that fair? Yeah, that that's probably fair. Um, and the thing, too, is, and this is the thing people said about Devonta Smith, too. You get him in an NFL weight program, you can put on some weight, whatever. He's at Alabama. He's got access to the same level of nutrition and weightlifting coaches like you can, it wouldn't surprise me if he weighs in over 200 at the combine because he's just going to be shoving down ice cream sandwiches Better. and peanut butter and jelly between now and then. <laughs> I don't think he can play. I think if he could play over 200 and retain that athleticism, he would have done it in college. I just don't think his frame can hold that. And so that's the concern for me. If he was coming from a second tier program at that size, I'd be like, yeah, they could probably pack on some weight and stay athletic. I just don't think he can do it. I think he's about maxed out in terms of the weight that he can carry while, while he still stays athletic. 
I think Tua is a good comp. I think there's a lot of Tua in him, but I also I I do think that there's a lot of Kyler in him as well. In terms of, I know there's 15 pounds difference, but I don't think it's crazy to say you could put on five to 10 pounds. I, I think that that's realistic, and just in terms of aging naturally, hey, I, I've gained five to 10 pounds over the last couple of years uh, in a similar age. That whole it's, it's all muscle, right? Huh? All it's muscle. All muscle yeah. right? no, You've no retained your athleticism. Do with. Uh, ice cream sandwiches, uh, as Shane would put it. Um, but yeah, no, I, I'm joking. I, I just think that, you know, there's there's a pretty good chance that he ends up, you know, in that 195 to 200 range. And if that's the case, we're talking about a 10-pound difference from Kyler um, and pretty close to Tua. So I, I think there's a lot of crosses between two. I think he's a cross between Tua and Kyler. He's less of a runner than Kyler, um, but a lot of similarities in terms of how he escapes in the pocket. Which I think is something you want. You, you don't. You want him to escape the pocket. You don't necessarily want him to be a big runner at that size either. You don't want. You don't want those hits to accumulate. Yeah, for sure. All right. So there it is, folks. That wraps up our top five quarterback rankings. Just to recap here, uh, we were unanimous. Bryce Young number one. C.J. Stroud number two. Uh, at number three, Mark and I had Anthony Richardson. Dibes had Will Levis, and then those were flipped for number four. And then at number five, uh, Mark and I had Hinden Hooker and Dibes had Tanner McKee. Uh, before we get out of here, though, you guys watch a lot of quarterbacks. Is there anybody out there that just missed your top 10 or your top five, a favorite day three prospect? Anybody you want to give a shout out in an honorable mention? Mine was Tanner McKee that just missed, but I already got to talk about him. So I'll throw it to you guys and see if there's anyone you want to shout out. I'll start off with Dorian Thompson Robinson. Uh, he's a day three undrafted free agent kind of guy. Uh, he's uh, a four-year starter, has some really intriguing projection at the NFL level, really quick release, gets the ball out fast, really good arm talent. Uh, if you watch this guy, he puts uh, a lot of zip in his passes, uh, solid at making throws out of the pocket as well, uh, and does a really good job of like keeping his eyes downfield uh, when he's out of that pocket. He's a dual threat kind of quarterback. Um, his uh, UCLA offense used – a lot of design runs, a lot of options, RPOs, 40% of them uh, there. Uh, so that's kind of a good fit with the Philadelphia Eagles. And, you know, negative-wise, his decision-making and ball placement are not great, man. He's going to need a lot of coaching at the next level uh, when it comes to those areas. But uh, as an Eagles fan, I think Dorian uh, Thompson-Robinson is a guy to look out for, keep an eye out, keep put him on your radar, Eagles fans, because – the Eagles need a backup quarterback, and this is, uh, this is a developmental guy that makes a lot of sense for the birds. All right, Mark, did you have anybody that you wanted to shout out? Yeah, I like Dorian Thompson Robinson. I think that's a that's a really solid one that Dives mentioned there. Um, he would probably be my favorite guy to bring up outside of this, and that's not necessarily saying I'd rank him six. This is more so with a little bit of an Eagles focus. If they're going to bring in a day three guy or an undrafted guy, Shane often talks about how our backup quarterback, it shouldn't be a Gardner Minshew type. It should be a guy who has similar traits to Jalen Hurts so that when you have to bring in a backup, they don't inevitably have to change the entire offense. So um, I, I agree that drafting a, a mobile type guy would be the right move. Dorian Thompson Robinson fits that mold perfectly. Um, I would look at Jaron Hall. Jaron Hall is a guy from BYU um, who just has a lot of mobility and he'll take shots down the field. His yards per attempt were pretty high. 
um, 8.4, 8.7 in his two years starting at BYU, while also having 64% and 66% in terms of his completion percentage at BYU. Um, so I think Jaron Hall is an interesting name to watch out for. Um, but my probably my favorite one outside of DTR would be Max Duggan. Uh, Max Duggan at least showed the ability to play in big games at TCU yeah. um, in, in the playoffs. So, if, you know, you draft him as a fifth, sixth round guy and he has to be your backup due to cap issues by other positions and needing to devote resources elsewhere. I don't think that'll happen. The Eagles take backup quarterback pretty seriously. Um, so I don't think it'll be some fifth round rookie. But if it had to be, Max Duggan won't be completely shell shocked in terms of stepping into a big moment. Um, he might not be athletically on that level to be able to run the same that he did in college as he would in the NFL. Um, but for four years, he was a game manager who kept interceptions in the single digits while also flashing the ability to run for three to 500 yards per season. So um, I'm not a huge Max Duggan guy, but I think that it's pretty likely he sticks at the next level as a backup. And this is also a dumb little footnote. Uh, he did the the media tour in the weeks that he was in the playoffs. Did a bunch of pods that I listened to. Seems like a good guy. Feels like he uh, <laughs> feels like he'll land that in a quarterback room. You know, the starter will like him. They'll keep him around. He seems like he'd be an easy, coachable guy. Seems like he loves football. Uh, so there's some dumb foot football guy notes there for Max Duggan at the end. Yeah, being likable very important as a backup quarterback. Doesn't Just necessarily matter as a starter. Job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doesn't necessarily matter as a starter. You can you can be a tool as a starter as long as you're good. But if you're going to be the backup, you probably got to be pretty likable. So, all right. Well, that is going to do it. That will wrap up our QB ranking show here. Again, we know QB not the biggest need for the Eagles, but now you guys can talk intelligently at your draft parties or whatever you do about the quarterbacks as they come off the board. Uh, and we will get through every position group before the draft. So we'll get into some groups that are more uh, relevant for the Eagles. Up next, we're going to be talking about offensive linemen, uh, another position that isn't super combine reliant, but then we'll have the combine data and we can start to get into edge rushers and uh, skill position, corners, all those sorts of things that are a little more uh, relevant for the Eagles draft needs. So Thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you do, be sure you click that subscribe button. Give us five-star rating and reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And keep it tuned here to the BGN Radio Draft Show for everything you need to know to get ready for the 2023 NFL Draft.